And welcome back, sports fans. It's your host and your awesome show that is Coach Donnie Hess's Sports Corner here. We are back with another episode. I am here again with my faithful co-host, Mr. Brad Croston. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty well, Donnie. We got quite the weekend that has just passed and quite the weekend coming up in terms of sports. We have a new European champion in terms of Chelsea Football Club dominating in the Champions League final and taking Manchester City almost to the woodshed kind of a little bit out of nowhere. They they really took control of that and ended up winning their second Champions League title. Footy was crazy as usual. Hockey is heating up on the ice, so we got a lot to cover in this podcast. I cannot wait. Let's jump right into it. We'll jump into our game plan, and we will start off with our normals, the football. We will start off. We will go through the Champions League, as he kind of just discussed, we'll talk some MLS. We'll talk some breaking news out of Europe. We have some new managers taking new positions. We've got rumors, which are always fun, especially in Europe. We will go to the NHL. The first round is over. The second round has begun, and it keeps getting more entertaining with each game played. We will preview NCAA softball as the Women's College World Series is now down to the final eight that get started tomorrow. We will quickly go through the eight teams that are there and who we see raising the national championship in Oklahoma City here early next week. We'll go down to footy, down to Australia, where another round of footy is through. The Mongrook Indigenous round is through, and boy, did it give us some interesting results. And we will end it with our tipping. And last but not least, our award-winning, always favorite, Brad's crazy stat of the week, sir. Let's jump right into it. The Champions League is over, and as you stated earlier, Chelsea Football Club has raised the Big Ear Trophy to the heavens, being the Champions League in a 1-0 win over Manchester City. And as you kind of said, this was Chelsea dominating Manchester City. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. Pep Guardiola overthinks another Champions League again. Yeah, this was really crazy, and I, I liked what they were saying during the uh, pregame show as we were getting into the into the coverage of that. When leading up to the game, everyone was thinking, oh, Manchester City's got a superior squad, and they should be able to take care of Chelsea fairly easily. And then the moment that they released the starting 11s, you could feel the momentum completely shift toward Chelsea and go to more of a 50-50 matchup in terms of what people were predicting. No Fernandinho who was the captain on the day in the last Premier League game, lifted the champion, lifted the Premier League trophy in that celebration. No Rodri in center midfield. They put in Raheem Sterling up top, who's been relatively out of form in terms of what we've seen from him. And then Chelsea went strong. They knew what they were capable of. They knew how to set their team up. 3-4-3. They had Kai Havertz up top. And look who ended up scoring the goal. Kai Havertz, the record signing. Comes in under Frank Lampard, has a little bit of an up-and-down year, but finds a way to get his first Champions League goal in the final. And quite frankly, yes, Manchester City had a lot of possession in this game, but it was kind of like what we are talking about with Real Madrid in the semifinals. It was not very efficient possession of the ball. I mean, I couldn't really tell you that Edward Mendy was tested very much in the Chelsea goal. I mean, it was really one of those things where, yes, they may have had the ball, but if you can't get a lot of shots on net and a lot of dangerous attacks going forward, then that possession is really useless, and that's just minutes wasted. So it was really something where everybody started thinking, what is with this team selection by Guardiola? And, and in the end, it's proven costly. It just it just absolutely boggles my mind how much this absolute tactical genius and excellent manager can continue to just overthink things. I, I say this all the time when I watch college sports, when I watch any kind of sports. If you have a dominant team, you don't change for anyone. No matter what type of adversity the team you are playing, you're going up against, is you do not change. You play your game. Again, Pep Guardiola worries so much about a couple of things and he panics and he changes his team to 
a style that does not fit what Manchester City have been doing most of this season through most of this Champions League, and Chelsea capitalizes. I, I, I'm not going to blame this on the Manchester City players. I'm going to put this more on Pep Guardiola because he set his team up to fail. Tomas Tuchel, for the first time in his life, has probably got to be laughing so hard in his coach's office with that European, with that Champions League trophy. Because he didn't have to do very much. All he had to do was make sure he didn't do the same thing that Pep Guardiola did. Yeah, and you, you, we talk about the bodies that weren't in the Manchester City mid- midfield. But let, let's talk about one that was in Chelsea's midfield. How good is Engolo Conte? I mean, that man is just incredible. He, he literally makes it seem like there are, there are two additional players in the midfield for Chelsea, one going forward, one going back. I mean, he is just so incredible. He has such an engine. He has such desire. He has such technical ability. He is just incredible. And let, let me let me go as far as to say this. I think that if France are able to win the European Championship and he does not get injured and is able to play that all the way through, uh, I think that he is going to be firmly in contention for the Ballon d'Or when it gets awarded once again in the in the winter time. And, and I mean, everybody here knows that I'm a Bayern Munich fan and I know how much I love, and we all know how much I love Robert Lewandowski and how much he's able to score, but the impact the, that Angolo Conte can have not only on Chelsea, but on the French national team and any team that he plays for. I mean, he is just such a difference maker that I think that he's definitely in contention and firmly in discussion to be among the best players in the world. And I really believe that. Yeah, it's hard to argue there. I mean, he, he's just so stable in that midfield for Chelsea, which lets those Chelsea forwards not have to worry as much about playing defense. They can go out, they can attack, they can get going with runs and everything like that. This Chelsea team, like, if I'm the English Premier League right now, I'm a little scared because if they can bring in any more reinforcements this summer, they legitimately are going to be with Liverpool and Manchester City as a thoroughly good shot to be in contention for the EPL title that year. And, and sadly, sir, that is it. European domestic football is done for the year. Wow. Just an incredible season. COVID just threw so many curveballs. but to get a season through, I got to give the European nations credit. They got most of the leagues in very few ended early. All of them got through all of their games. It is done. But now we turn to internationals. We have the Euros coming up. We're going to let everybody know right now. Next week, we will go through each of the groups in the European, in the Euros coming on. We will go through it group by group, breakdown team by team, kind of seeing how it goes and who we think will be the European champions this season. Are you excited for that? Because I'm very interested because I'm going to pull for Scotland. I know they're, I know they're a small nation, but I'm going to pull for the little nation that could in Scotland. Maybe it's my Celtic. Maybe yeah, it's why not? Celtic in me. Yeah, it's, it's always fun. And, you know, we haven't really had a major international competition since the World Cup in 2018. It's been a really, really long time. And, I mean, we can count the CONCACAF Gold Cup if we want to for us in the United States. But real big-time international football tournaments in terms of the European championships are always so much fun. And I'm very, very excited to see what this one has in store. And then, like you said, yeah, we're going to go through each of the groups. We're going to go through a really detailed breakdown. We'll take a look at the rosters some of the notable ins and outs of certain teams. Take a look at where games are going to be played leading up to the final at Wembley Stadium on July 11th, and we'll just have to wait and see. But we've got a lot of really interesting groups. And, I mean, just looking at them right off the bat, I mean, Group F, France, Germany, and Portugal. I mean, just how incredible is that group going to shape out to be? And then, like you were talking about with Scotland, they're in with England, Czech Republic and Croatia, so they're going to have their hands full. But you never know. Sometimes these little nations they can they can squeak in, especially with the way that this this European Championship is set up. Even if you get into third place, four of the best six third place uh, finishers get to qualify for the knockout round. So there there's no saying who who's going to end up going through. And we'll be able to break it down a little bit more in detail next week. And it's going to be really interesting because now that we've got the, the rosters finalized, we'll be able to really get an idea of what we're looking at. 
Cannot wait for that. Let's stay in Europe really quickly. There have been some headlines popping up. Real Madrid has very quickly replaced the running out of Madrid's Zinedine Zidane, who is going to be grabbing the managerial spot at Los Blancos. Oh, boy. It's it's former AC Milan, Bayern Munich, and... On and on and on, manager Carlo Ancelotti. Carletto is back in Madrid. The, the Champions League winner in 2014 leaves his post at Everton. So that post is now open for anybody. And Carletto takes over for Zizou. And it's a very interesting move, especially given the fact that a lot of people were thinking that Ancelotti was going to be the architect of the Everton rebuild. And now he's left after only 18 months. And we'll have to see about what, what Carletto Carlotto is going to be able to do in terms of how he's going to set his team up, who he's going to keep, who he's going to sell, and how short of a leash he's going to be on with Florentino Perez. So we'll have to see how long he's able to stay in charge and whether or not he's going to be able to make, really make a lasting impact on this Real Madrid team. It'll be quite interesting to see that. And there's been some more talk of who could be fighting it. Do I hear the former Inter Milan manager might find himself in England? Yeah, we, we've seen a little bit of rumors today that apparently Antonio Conte is on the verge of potentially joining Tottenham Hotspur and taking over for Jose Mourinho there. And that'd be quite the hire, uh, especially if you're talking about going straight from a Scudetto-winning interside and going to a Tottenham side that has missed out on European football this year. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be playing Europa Conference League this year, so it's going to be very interesting if that hire goes through, seeing what kind of work he's going to be doing with that team and what he's going to be able to accomplish with Tottenham. They're a very capable side, but we still don't know about Harry Kane and whether or not he's going to be back. And, of course, we always talk about it, their the reluctance to spend the big bucks and whether or not that's going to come back to bite them. And if Conte does get hired by Tottenham, it's, it's going to be a very, very interesting hire. Yeah, very interesting for me because I know Conte is one of those, he's constantly trying to get on the owners to spend more money. So he goes from Inter, who told him they weren't going to spend any more money, and he goes to Tottenham Hotspurs, who are notorious for not spending money. So that's a very interesting move for me. If he goes to Real Madrid, if he goes to Manchester City, a big one that likes to spend a lot of money. That makes sense. This one's a little peculiar to me. I'm well, and then this reeks, this reeks of Jose Mourinho part two. Well, and then I've also seen rumors with Tottenham about them potentially looking to bring Mauricio Pochettino back. So there's a couple of big confusing names that have been linked to this job. And I think that Daniel Levy's got a lot of questioning coming up from fans and and supporters alike and they're they're going to be asking some questions about if if they bring for instance if they bring Pochettino back why fire him in the first place only to bring him back a couple months later and then if you bring in Conte are you going to let him spend the money he needs to be able to build a team like he built in Milan so I think that either of those guys is going to be a very tough hire just in terms of answering questions as to why and for me, why would Poch leave PSG to go back to Spurs? That it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like he's, I think Pochettino finally has got himself a team that he can maybe win himself several trophies, maybe get himself a Champions League because it sounds like Neymar is is all set to stay in France. The biggest question over this offseason will be is does Kylian Mbappe find himself in a new Guernsey? Because if he does. I think a few dominoes happen from that. So this, this, this summer will be quite interesting, especially in Paris. So we will jump from that. I think that's all the news. Is there any other news that you're hearing or, or do we want to move on to the good old USA and the MLS? Yeah, I think we're ready to move on to MLS. And I mean, oh boy, do we have quite the weekend over here. Uh, we, had, we had some really interesting results, namely one of the big ones for me, LAFC. Losing at home to New York City Football Club by a score of 2-1. to one. Ishmael Tajori Shradi with a game-winning goal in the 90th minute. And that's a big result for New York City and a big one for LAFC. They're right now sitting on only eight points through seven games played with 1.14 points per game average. 
So that's very concerning, I think, if you're an LAFC fan. Once you get around to the point of eight to ten games into a season, you can really kind of gauge where your level is at. And definitely eight points out of seven games played is not where you want to be. Neither is it for the team that, once again, I'm going to need to apologize to Minnesota United for picking them top of the, top of the West in my MLS preview before the season started. They're, they're sitting on seven points right now through seven games played. So they're definitely looking to try and get things set up to the point where they can succeed and get back into the top seven in terms of the playoffs. Uh, Inter-Miami losing at home 3-0 to D.C. United. That's never good to see. And then the Sunday games were really big. Portland goes to Philadelphia and gets taken to the woodshed. 3-0 for Philadelphia Union over the Portland Timbers. That's a big one there. Further just into the injury woes that the Portland Timbers are going through. The loss of Andy Polo last week against LA Galaxy really reared its ugly head for the Timbers at this game. And then Austin FC are able to go to Seattle, and they're able to get a point off of the Seattle Sounders at Lumen Field, finishing with a nil-nil draw. So there's a couple of really big results coming out of MLS this weekend. That's a little really impressive showing for Austin FC to go into probably one of the most hostile places in the entire MLS and to get a point, you gotta, that's almost a win for a brand new club. And, and since the last time that we talked, I can't, I can't remember. Did we discuss, did you see the news coming out of inter Miami and their, their infractions that they had for the MLS? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is one of those things where it, it's, it's tough to see if you're an inter Miami fan and, You've been talking for all these years about getting a team back in Miami, and then you finally get the team. It gets pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. You finally get to 2020, and it's time to unveil the team. And then COVID hits. And then the first year goes by, and it's not necessarily a great banner year for Inter-Miami, but they're able to bring in a couple of really good star players like Rodolfo Pizarro from from, um, Monterrey, Blaise Matuidi from France, and then that's the big one, uh, signing of Blaze Matuidi and the, the sanctions that you were talking about. I'll go ahead and bring this up here. But this refers to the reporting of finances and designating players as either designated players or allocation money signings. And that, that all goes in terms of the MLS salary rules because it's not an open market league in MLS. So you have to report all of your salary players. And the thing is, is that they underreported stat, uh, they underreported roster categorizations for Blaise Matuidi and Andres Reyes. They both should have op- occupied designated player spots. And what that is, is that you're able to pay this player above the maximum salary limit as long as they are reported as a designated player. And then they also underreported salary budget amounts for Leandro Gonzalez Perez, Nicolas Figal, and Julian Carranza. So all of this sums up to a $2 million fine to the club, $250,000 fine to Jorge Moss, who is the managing owner of Inter Miami, and Paul McDonough, who is the former chief operating officer and sporting director of Inter Miami, who's now with Atlanta United, has been suspended through the end of 2022. And this is the most severe penalty ever handed down by MLS to a, a club in terms of uh, in terms of this kind of stuff. And quite frankly, MLS really went through this in the proper way. And you never want to see this happen. But when this stuff does happen, you want to be be sure that the per, the people and the organization that committed these infractions are punished to the fullest extent. And I, I think that MLS got this one right on the head and. It's not something that you want to see, especially for the league's one of the league's newest teams and one of the most highly anticipated teams with multiple big money talents in the team. But Blaze Matuidi isn't going to get suspended. It seems like and none of these other players are going to get uh, suspended or fined or anything as it wasn't necessarily their fault. It was the management's fault for underreporting their numbers. But it does really put you in an uncomfortable position if you're one of these players or if you're another player on Inter-Miami's roster. Because now you're not only your, – your club not only is now down $2 million, which in terms of MLS numbers, in terms of allocation money, $2 million is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's a, that's a high-end player that you're not able to bring in with $2 million. So that, that's really big. And it's, it's, a, 
it's a precedent setting fine and and punishment for all of these for all of these uh higher ups in inner miami yeah it's 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 sad that they felt that this was something that they needed to do um i i think with all of the with the huge latin um, base down there that I think this is one of those. I didn't think there should be no issue making money in Miami when it comes to a football club, but this is unfortunately has been bumbled way too many times. I'm hoping they will recover because this, I think the market is, is ripe for football in Miami. I'm hoping that they work out, but this is not starting off. Well, let's move to it. Let's move to round eight and man, do we have some absolutely blockbuster matchups very early in the season. Am I, I'm seeing this right. LA Galaxy hosting the Seattle Sounders. Atlanta United hosting the Philadelphia Union. And a sneaky interesting one that I can't wait to keep an eye on. Austin FC hosting the San Jose Earthquakes. Of those three games there, I mean, which one? Oh, and I forgot one. I'm sorry. I don't want to make – I don't want to forget this one. Portland Timbers hosting the can- Sporting Kansas City. You can't argue those are two really solid football clubs. So of those four, I know you love your Sporting Kansas City, but what's one you're going to be tuning into because these look like some absolutely fantastic matchups. Yeah, I would definitely be looking at the uh, LA Galaxy versus Seattle Sounders game because – we all know that Seattle is very much in term, very much up top in terms of the power rankings and how good these clubs are in terms of their, their record right now. Uh, of course, I'm going to be watching that sporting game very, very closely. And then this Atlanta Philadelphia game, it's a rematch of the champions league matchup from earlier in the season. So I think Atlanta are going to be out for a bit of revenge. Uh, Philadelphia union going back, in, in a way, to the scene of the crime where they were able to get a 3-0 win out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So these games are going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. We're going to have a little bit of an international break for CONCACAF Nations League and the Euros that are coming up. So these players are going to have some time to rest and rejuvenate and come back for a, for a packed month of June and July. So we'll see some really high-intensity matches coming up at the end of June and into July. So we'll have a little bit of a break from MLS for a little while and then right back into it. But it's going to be very, very interesting. Those darn international breaks and coach is not looking at his thing to see the dates. <laughs> and I just now see that round does not start until June 18th. We will, we'll, we'll, let's come, let's come back to this here in a couple of weeks after we get back past these nation league games. So I think that is going to do it for our MLS section. Let's hop onto it. We got to talk NHL playoffs. We are on to round two. It took us to only a couple of days ago, but our final first round matchup ends and I will, I, will, I will tip my hat to the Montreal Canadiens. You find a way to knock out the Leafs in seven games. Congrats to you. Now you get the Winnipeg Jets. Man, that, I, I have to say, that one surprised me to see Montreal knock out who I thought was a really good shot of, of being in the Stanley Cup Finals, the, Montreal, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs have maple-leafed once again. I mean, it, it, it is quite shocking how the Toronto Maple Leafs in spite of the money that they've spent, the players that they've brought in once again, they have managed to capitulate at the worst possible time. They allow, they allow about, what was it? I think 500 to a thousand healthcare workers from the city of Toronto and over, over the province of Ontario into Scotiabank arena for the game, which is a great thing that the Toronto organization is able to do. Mm-hmm. And they have to witness the Montreal Canadians coming back and knocking their Maple Leafs out. I mean, it's, it's as much as we got to talk about Montreal and how good they were and how great Carey price was. I mean, I, I really got to start with the Maple Leafs here. I mean, you, you got to say that with the amount of money that they spent, the players they brought in, like I was saying, you, you got to find a way to be able to win series, especially when you're up three games to one. I mean, this is, this is something that's really almost unprecedented in, in terms of the modern NHL, just to see how much this Toronto organization has struggled over the past two decades. They have not won a playoff series, Donnie, since 2004, since before that lockout year. I mean, it's just incredible that not only have the Maple Leafs not won a series, but I mean, They've lost eight consecutive 
winner-take-all games. They've lost multiple game sevens. I mean, we remember that famous game in Boston where Boston came back from 4-1 down in the third period to come back and then win the game in overtime. Now this one against your most bitter rival in the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, if I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, I am heated. I'm, I'm, I would be just like, what is there that – what else can I do? Who else do I need to bring in to actually make this work? Because this is something that's really unfortunate for the Maple Leafs. But then on the other end of the spectrum, like I said, how about those halves? I mean, that they're just incredible. The heart and desire that they've shown is just incredible. And Carey Price is as good as advertised. He's been there for a long time. He's become the face of this Montreal organization. And he comes up huge for the Canadians in this game. I mean, he was just an absolute rock. And then, of course, other than allowing the goal in the end of the game to Willie Nylander, I mean, he was pitching a shutout throughout, throughout that whole game. And credit to him because he's been absolutely amazing. And another crazy thing I want to just mention, the three games that Montreal won to come back and win the series, they were outshot in every single one of those games and yet they were able to get the job done and win. So I think that right there is just something that really shows how much the, the Toronto Maple Leafs have been unable to get it done just when it matters most. Well, and I think in playoff hockey, the one thing that you always got to say is if you can catch and you can get a hot goaltender at just the right time, you can go far. Because as long as you can you can rattle in a couple of goals every game and your goaltender can save you a few, you can you can advance in the playoffs. And Carey Price is showing that to be absolute gospel. So uh, all 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 due congratulations to the Montreal Canadiens as they now move on. And tonight they get Game One against the Winnipeg Jets. No games in as we know of Round Two. This series is just getting started. Looking at the way this series went, the these both these series went. Jets win it in four. Canadians win it in seven. Do we have the Jets winning this, or do the Canadians pull miracle number two? This, this is a tough one for me because I've got soft spots in my heart for both Winnipeg and Montreal. I love the history of the Montreal Canadiens, and I've, I've always been kind of fascinated with the old history of the Winnipeg Jets and then their revitalization and their, their upbringing and their, their comeuppance in a way with, with Shifley, Wheeler, with Bufflin earlier, and then all, the whole team is just really, really good. And it's a difficult one to pick as well because, yes, the Jets were able to easily, in a way, dispatch the Edmonton Oilers, but the Canadians are riding the hot hand right now. They won three elimination games against Toronto, who are very, very tough. They've got a hot goaltender, like you said, in Carey Price. I'm almost, I'm almost feeling like Montreal could win this series, like, like especially if they can go and win a, win a seven-gamer against the Maple Leafs. We, we've talked about it before in baseball, and we were talking about it earlier with uh, with the Avalanche and the Golden Knights that sometimes you don't want to have a week off before you get back into another playoff series. And, I mean, it looks like Colorado got the, the – they got the win in game one, so it looks like they're going to be okay in terms of rust. But now we have to wonder the same thing with the Winnipeg Jets. So I, I'm hesitant to go either way because either way – I. I feel like it's going to be a fantastic series. I, I completely agree with you. I think these first two, I, this is going to sound really, really funny, but if I'm the Jets, I want to go, I, I want to I want to at least get out of the first two games at home one and one, because I think game one is going to be a stretch for them because the Canadians have been playing hockey. They're, they're, they're going, this is one of those where the Jets need to make this a tough, gritty series because you're going to use the fact that Montreal has three more games on their legs against them. That by the time you hit games three, four, five, that wear and tear of the, that first series is going to get to them. I think I, this is one of those. I see the Canadians winning game one because they'll be, they'll be up and going because they have been playing and the Jets should be usually are rusty. Okay. But I think game two, the Jets bounce back. I think the Jets win this in six because I think Montreal wins game three or game four back in Montreal and the Jets win the rest of the series. This is going to be a tough one, though, because this one could go seven because Montreal's speed could cause these Jets a little bit of issue. So I'm really interested to see, can Montreal keep up their speed for this entire series? I cannot well, wait. We got game one yeah. tonight. 
we, we've got a really good goaltender matchup in the series. Two former Vesna winners in terms of Connor Hellebuck and Carey mm-hmm. Price. So you're talking about a hot goaltender. Both of these teams have fantastic goaltenders. So we're, we're going to have a very, very interesting series. I would not be surprised if this one went seven games as well. Mm-hmm. Completely agree with you on this. Let's jump to the next series, the Colorado Avalanche and the Golden Knights. Game one has already been played, and the Avalanche took the Vegas Golden Knights to the woodshed. We just talked about the rust. Well, Colorado sure obviously did not have any rust after playing a Vegas Golden Knights who went seven tough games against the Minnesota Wild. And the Colorado Avalanche spanked them seven to one. Wow. So this Colorado Avalanche team literally put a statement in the ground there by absolutely shellacking Vegas. I, I mean, do we see another sweep for the Avalanche or can Vegas kind of get their legs back underneath them going into game two tonight in the Pepsi Center in Denver? I think that the Golden Knights are not going to get beaten seven to one again. I think that they're plenty talented enough to make this a better series than a seven one. But I, I think that the Avalanche are as good as advertised. I've, I've been very high on the Avalanche for a little while because not only are they President's Trophy winners, but they just have so many good players. I mean, Ranton and Landeskog, McKinnon, Brandon Saad coming in from the Blackhawks. I mean, they just have so many amazing weapons up top. Kale McCarr as well. And they, they just have everything that you need to be good going forward. And if they can keep it solid in the back and have good performances from their goaltenders, then I think that the Avalanche are in with a very good chance at the Stanley Cup. But I think that the Golden Knights are going to be able to pull one back. If they can't win game two, I think that they'll at least be able to pull one back in Vegas and push it back to game five at at Pepsi Center. So I think that we'll be able to see a a longer series. I I do think that the Avalanche will end up winning in the long run, but I think that Vegas has enough quality to be able to stretch the series out a bit. Yeah, I six max. I think I think it's when Vegas has got to steal one in the Pepsi Center to give themselves some confidence, and that's not going to be an easy task. Let's go into it. Two games in in the Eastern Conference Finals between the Bruins and Islanders, and man, these first two games have been fun to watch because the the Boston Garden has been absolutely electric for the first two games, but the Islanders find a way to steal one in Boston. Got to give the Long Island natives a lot of momentum and a lot of confidence going back home to a rowdy Nassau Coliseum for the next two games of the series. Yeah. And kind of like what we were talking about in the Pittsburgh series. I mean, this seems like one that the Islanders could potentially just steal from the, from the Bruins. You were talking about them stealing game two and they're one of these teams that they're so pesky and they're, they're so sneaky good that not only are their players feeling confidence, but their fans are really filling up the Nassau Coliseum again. They're really making that environment tough. I mean, like if you watch the last game at the Nassau Coliseum of the, of the Pittsburgh series, I mean, that crowd was just incredible the whole way. And that seventh man can really help teams out in the playoffs. I mean, now that we've got crowds back and players are really ramped up that little bit more, to be able to play at home and be able to give themselves a little bit more of an adrenaline boost. I really think that the Islanders might be able to actually win this series. And they're, they're really riding that wave of, of confidence of not only playing well on the ice, but getting a full crowd at Nassau Coliseum back. And we'll have to see if the Bruins can bounce back. I mean, they, they, they did a really good job in game one with posture, not getting a hat trick, but I mean, that was just a typical Islanders kind of thinking that, probably they're not going to be able to do well. And then boom, they hit you. And then they, they steal a game off of you. So if they can keep that up, they might be in with a shot at winning this series. This, this Islanders team, they play a very tough, very playoff style of hockey, very physical, very defensive oriented. They don't give up a lot of things. So I cannot wait to see this series continue on because I think both these teams have just absolutely been playing fantastic hockey. That will be a fun series. I hope it goes seven because that will be amazing. Let's go down to it. The South, the the Central one, and it's kind of been anticlimactic. Tampa goes into Carolina for the first two games and steals two games. They go back home to Tampa with a chance to put a nice three-game lead on the Hurricanes on Thursday night. I mean, mean, Tampa's Stanley Cup veteran-style team is just literally making this exciting Hurricanes team look average. Carolina has outshot Tampa Bay in the first two games of this series by a combined total of 70 
to 45. And the goals combined have been four to two in favor of Tampa Bay. And like you were saying, the, the experience in that lightning locker room is really showing and that they're just a team that knows how to get wins and they know how to grind it out. And Andre Vasilevsky is looking really good right now. He is looking like an absolute stud in the Tampa Bay net with two fantastic performances and only allowing two goals in these two games. And not only that, they took these two games in Carolina. And so you're talking about a monumental task for this Carolina team that they now have to win at least two games in, in Tampa Bay to be able to go and win this series. So they, they've got a mountain to climb. And if I'm a Hurricanes fan, I'm very, very scared now. Because not only do you have to win two games in Tampa Bay against the Lightning, who are the defending champions, and they're looking every bit as such, but you, you got to hope that that everyone in terms of Svechnikov, Aho, Teravine, and they can all show up. Because now Vinny Trocek lo- looks like he's going to be out for the rest of this series. Because in his press conference last night, Rod Brendamore said that his injury does not look good. They haven't given an official diagnosis yet, I don't believe, but the loss of any Trochek is going to be really, really huge for Carolina. Yeah. So that, that one's going to be a fun series. I think, I think Tampa, they may just wear out Carolina on that one. So, so I got to say right now, looking at this, we're still early. I, I think these series are still going to be set, but just really quickly, who are our four, who are our four teams are going to be playing in, in the final four of the Stanley cup finals really quick and then we'll move on to the next section. I'm going to go Colorado, Winnipeg, Boston, and Tampa Bay. I think Winnipeg's going to win in seven. I think Colorado in five. I think Bruins in six. And I think Tampa in five. Yep. And I'll go real quick. I think Tampa, I think Tampa in five. I think the Islanders in seven. I think the Colorado Avalanche in five. And I think I'm going to give the Jets in six. Yeah, we got some really exciting hockey coming up here. And real quick, let's go ahead and talk about NCAA softball real quick. I know, Donnie, you've been really excited to talk about this. And we've got our eight teams going to the Women's College World Series in mild stomping grounds in Oklahoma City. So we've got not only that, but we got two Oklahoma teams in it, in Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They're going to be in the same bracket. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. Bracket one, we've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, James Madison, and Georgia. And bracket two, we've got UCLA, Arizona, Alabama, and Florida State. So I'm going to throw this to you, Donnie, real quick. What do you see happening here? Who do you think is going to come out of the brackets? And, Donnie, who do you think will lift up the trophy at the end of the Women's College World Series? Oh, man, this is going to be fun because bracket one has a couple of of underdog great stories to look at james madison came out of nowhere the colonial athletic champions they had only lost one game going into the ncaa tournament they went through the knoxville regional knocking out seeded tennessee went on to face missouri in the super regionals and went into missouri and knocked out number five missouri so this james madison team they may be small they may not be well known this is their first ever time at the College World Women's World Series, but they are a tough team. Some great pitching. They get just enough offense to get games done. They will face Oklahoma in the first game of the tournament, and Oklahoma by far is the best team in the country. Two losses in the entire year, one of the best offenses, one of the best defenses. They are going to be incredibly difficult. And the other unseeded team to also get to the tournament this year, the only two times this has ever happened in college softball, the World Series, and Georgia knocking out Florida in their Super Regional. Georgia will take on Oklahoma State. So this is a very interesting bracket. If I look at it, Oklahoma State-Georgia is going to be the best game of the first matchup because this really is going to test who gets Oklahoma most likely in that second game in the winner's bracket. I think Oklahoma gets out of this because they have so much offense. Their pitching is incredible. Great defense. They've been the best team all year long. Everybody wants to see them in the final. They're going to have the home fans. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, I think, will play each other in the bracket championship. And I think Oklahoma moves on. To the other side of the bracket, we have a very interesting four. UCLA, the number two overall seed, Arizona, Alabama, and Florida State. Alabama, the number three overall. Florida State and Arizona knocked off 
LSU and Arkansas to get here. So this is a very interesting foursome there with two Pac-12 teams that have played each other a lot, an Alabama team that's very much based on defense and pitching, and Florida State, who's just that scrappy team in this group. I This one's going to be difficult. I think Alabama gets out of this side of the bracket, but I think Alabama and UCLA are going to be the teams to look at on this side of the bracket. I just don't know if Florida State and Arizona have the pitching to be able to stay up with UCLA and Alabama. And I, if, if, you, if you twist my arm, I think we see an Alabama-Oklahoma National Championship Series, best of three. I think OU wins another title. Boomer Sooner gets it done again at home. I think they go to a two-game series with Alabama, winning both. I see OU winning this. I cannot wait. The series games start tomorrow with four games. I'm so excited. They start at 11. They'll go to about 10 o'clock at night. I cannot wait. Brad, I know this isn't something you've been keeping a major eye on, but you have to say this Boomer Sooner team is fun to watch. They have a girl who could potentially break the all-time home run record. She's only four home runs away, and this team has run-ruled so many games this season. They're so hard to stop. Are you excited? Are you going to keep an eye on the Boomer Sooner women softball team? Yeah, you know, I I went to Oklahoma a couple weeks ago. I went to go see my grandpa down there, and I couldn't help but notice while I was driving around, I, I, I drove by the uh, OU softball complex because it's right next to the basketball arena and the baseball stadium. And there were team, there were both softball and baseball games going on at the same time. And the bigger crowd was at the softball game. And that just goes to show just how talented and how big of a program the OU program is. And it, they, it's been that way for a long time. I mean, OU softball has really set the barometer for a long time in terms of the dominant softball programs in the country. So good luck to them. I will definitely be keeping an eye out. And like you said, boomer sooner, baby, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that one goes out. I cannot wait. That will be a blast. The tournament game start tomorrow. Keep an eye on it on the ESPN networks. Let's jump to it, sir. We'll jump down to footy. Here we go. An amazing round of football, and it starts off with a bang as the Melbourne Demons find a way to shut down the high-powered Western Bulldogs, winning 87-59, a 28-point win. I mean, I have to say, I'm a little shocked. I honestly thought Western Bulldogs had the ability to to put up some points, and Melbourne just kind of showed defense wins championships. Wire-to-wire win, too. I mean, no. The, the doggies were not in front at any point in this game. And that just goes to show just how good and consistent Melbourne were throughout the entire game and credit to them. I mean, both you and I, we both picked the dogs last week to win. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that it was just a fantastic win by, by the D's and any, any questions about whether or not this team was a premiership contender, definitely a race now. And not only do they get the win against the dog against the doggies, but they're going to be coming into a very big matchup with the Brisbane Lions this this upcoming week, and we'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, this is just an, this is a huge statement win by Melbourne, and it's only a shame that that they weren't able to have a full house at the MCG for this game because it would have been they would have been able to pack that stadium. Yeah, it would have been incredible. Unfortunately for the D's in Victoria with the COVID issues that they had, it was played in front of an empty stadium. We'll move on to it. And I don't know about you, sir, but I had trouble watching this game. This game was absolutely ugly. I mean, this was bowling shoe ugly, if you ask me. Geelong Cats win by 10, 61-51 over Collingwood. And the Cats, again, have ran on this little run where they play teams that they should clearly beat rather easily, and they make it a little more difficult than it probably should have been. Yeah, we got a combined 14 goals and 28 behinds in this game. So the goal kicking was definitely a bit wayward at at the MCG in this game. So it was very strange. But yeah, like you said, this Geelong team, they're, they're, they're having a little bit of trouble putting away these rather lower ability teams right now. Um, it potentially might not be as big of an issue as we might be making it out to be right now. But we'll have to wait and see because Geelong are going to have a couple of really big games coming up. They got Port Adelaide this. They got Port Adelaide this week, and then they got the Western Bulldogs, and then they got the Brisbane Lions. So I mean, you got to you got to stretch there where 
if we're going to go off of their performances against these lower clubs and these close wins, then they might be in for a bit of a shellacking at the Adelaide Oval and at the Gabba. But it, it'll be very interesting to see how Geelong goes on in these games. And then for Collingwood, I mean, it just keeps going on. The the struggles keep going. The the losing keeps on going. So it doesn't look like there is an end in sight for the Pies right now. Yeah, unfortunately, the light at the end of the tunnel is not there. We'll move up up to the Gabba where the Brisbane Lions hot streak just continues as they shellack the GWS Giants 129-65, a 64-point win. And man, this Brisbane Lions team is absolutely humming, humming going into this weekend's matchup against the D's. Yeah, they're hitting all the right buttons at the right time, and they're getting goals from pretty much everybody on the field. I mean, this is exactly what we were thinking was going to happen in terms of their preseason. And now that they've been able to get everybody into, into form, everyone's healthy right now. They're just firing on all cylinders. And if they can keep this up, it's going to be a very difficult game for Melbourne up this weekend. And then for the rest of the season, you're going to have to be wondering whether or not this team's going to be in it for a premiership shout. And I think that they're firmly in contention along with the dogs and the D's right now. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The D's have stamped the, the Brisbane lions have stamped themselves into a flag contender. We'll move on to it. A little bit of an anticlimactic game as the Saint killed the saints. Find a way to beat the North Melbourne Rouge by 20, 88, 68, I mean, if I'm St. Kilda, I take this as a win, but it's not exactly the opponent you want to brag about a win over. Yeah, this is a thank God we got North Melbourne when we did and thank God we beat them type of game because they've definitely had some struggles over the last couple of weeks, but it's good to get them back into the win column and then they're going to have a big game this weekend against Sydney and they, they had to move this game to the SCG because of the COVID cases in Victoria. So we'll talk about that a little bit later but it might be a bit of an advantage for Sydney going into this game. And then we'll have to see if they can keep their good, their, their relatively speaking good momentum going into Sydney, because the, if they want to have any chance to win, they need to be firing on all cylinders. Speaking of the SCG, this game was moved up to the SCG due to the COVID as the Gold Coast Suns beat the Hawthorne Hawks 113-76. And the glimpses of a Gold Coast team that could potentially be so much better than they have been this year rears its ugly head again. As again, Stewie Do finds a way to get his boys up and at them for a team. But again, maybe a few weeks too late. Yeah, and it's a real shame for the Suns just because of the amount of injuries that they've had this year and the number of times that they've been looking to potentially get themselves going on the right track. But this is a good win for the Saints, I mean, or for the Suns, excuse me, by 37 over a Hawthorne team that's definitely not anywhere near where they want to be either. So it's a it's a matchup of lower teams, and one of them is able to say, thank God we got the win, thank, thank God we got four points. So good win for Gold Coast. Yep. And now to the upset of the round, man, gold, man, the West Coast Eagles continue to make us look foolish as they drop one at home, 87-71 to the Essendon Bombers. I mean, I have to say it right now, the Essendon Bombers have to be one of the most entertaining teams to watch. After the Western Bulldogs, man, this was an impressive win for the Bombers at Optus Stadium. First time the Eagles have lost at home this season. Yeah, I mean, if, if you go to around the five-minute mark in the second quarter, you're like, oh, yeah, no way. No way Essen comes back. TV turns off. And then it's, it's, it's crazy. They, they're able to come back. They're able to get the win at Optus. And like you said, making us completely look foolish once again. And right when we start to say, oh, don't worry, West Coast is going back to Optus. They're going to be fine. Nope. And Essendon goes in, gets the shock win of the round. And, and that, that's one of the big ones for them. I mean, they're, they're right outside the eight now. They're, they're sitting in ninth along with GWS and Frio and St. Kilda on 20 points. So Essendon are right there. They're, they're definitely in contention to potentially pip out a spot in the eight. Yeah, that'll be quite interesting to see how this young Bombers handles this next one because this is a, a, a a tester here coming up this week. We'll talk about that in just a second. The Richmond Tigers go up to Giant Stadium and knock off the Adelaide Crows 111-83. But I got to say, this was a Crows team that kind of 
for a while there looked like they were going to nip this Tigers team, but the Tigers class and, and experience came to play in the second half as they went from down big to rolling over this Crows team. Yeah, this was a, this is a very strange game to watch because it, it was very, very strange seeing Adelaide pop out to that lead. Like you were saying, six goals, three at quarter time. And then they're only able to get two goals and, and six behinds by from that point to the end of the third quarter. So that, that, that whole stretch right there is right when the Richmond Tigers were able to turn on the gas and get the job done. And like you said, it's just the, the experience of the Crows players able to come up big Jack revolt with five goals. Cal Coleman, when Coleman Jones with four goals as well. So that's really big for the Richmond football club is they're looking to get themselves back into better standings and get possibly above Sydney and Port Adelaide up in the fifth and sixth. And speaking of speaking of Jack Rewalt, I mean, I, I got to ask shy Bolton, Jack Rewalt's marks, which one's mark of the year for you right now? Oh boy. I, I think I'm going to go with shy Bolton, but just barely. I mean, that, I mean, these, these are two guys that we've talked about for a long time as just complete game changers and complete lightning bolts. And I, I think that, any any time you get up as high as Shy Bolton did, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Shy Bolton just barely though. Yeah, I th- I think I'm gonna go Jack. I think just because of the fact that he had to run with the flight of the footy, the fact that he goes up and he gets the lift off and he gets the lift, I, I gotta give it to him. Shy Bolton's was impressive, very much so. This it's gonna be very difficult for the voters for Mark of the Year. Let's jump to it. Down to the SCG, our beloved Sydney Swans get a big win over Carlton. I, I have to admit this game scared me a little bit, especially early when Carlton kind of jumped out to a nice little lead, but the Swans in prototypical fashion shut it down towards the end and blow it out in the end as three goals from Heaney, Franklin, and Papley shows that this forward line might start to be clicking at just the right time. Yeah, this was a really tough, gritty win for the Swans. I mean, Carlton definitely came to play and they came with everything that they had. And you could see that their midfielders were looking very, very solid. I mean, Cripps and Walsh were just looking fantastic. And then like you were saying, the fourth quarter, they were just able to, the Swans were able to just turn it on at the right time. And they were able to pull the score away a little bit, a little bit, maybe in maybe skewed a little bit outside of what Carlton deserved because they really had a great game. I mean, all, all due respect to the blues. I mean, Yes, this is a loss, and yes, this is a bad time to lose another game, but I think that this is a, a, a better loss to hold your head, to hang your hat on. I mean, this is a very tough game, and this is a very professional win for the Swans to be able to ride the bumps and be able to come out on the other side with the win. Yeah, completely agree with that one. Just a win. You get the four points. You move on with another winnable game this weekend. Last game over in Adelaide. Shows, again, that Perth teams leave, and for this one, stayed true as Port Adelaide beats Frio, 115-69, a 46-point win. And, again, Frio's goal-kicking woes just continue. Yeah, this is one of those ones where Port were able to kick the goals when they needed to, and exactly the opposite for Frio. 18 goals, 7 for Port, and and 9 goals, 15 for Frio. And it's definitely one of those things where if you can kick your goals, you're probably going to win. And when you can't kick your goals, you're not going to be anywhere close. And this is unfortunately what happened to Frio. Yeah, definitely for sure. And that is going to end the round 11 results. Let's jump into our tips for round 12. And, and interestingly enough, our buys have started this year. They're doing something a tiny bit different as six teams each of the next three weeks will have a buy. So we will see North Melbourne, Gold Coast, GWS, Port Adelaide, Geelong, and Hawthorne all take a back seat this weekend. They will not be playing. Let's jump right into it. The blockbuster game of the entire weekend, Friday night or Friday morning for us, we'll see the Melbourne Demons and the Brisbane Lions play each other in Giant Stadium in New South Wales. Again, unfortunately, the COVID issues are continuing in Victoria. So many of these games that were going to be in Victoria have now been moved. Yeah, and this is a real neutral game, isn't this? This is in New South Wales, so it's out of state for both Melbourne and Brisbane. And I've been talking Brisbane up all year. That I've been, I've been talking about them getting hot at the right time. I'm going to go with the Brisbane Lions here. I, I think that 
the players that they've got, the, the addition of Joe Danaher has been really crucial. Yes, Melbourne have been looking fantastic, and they're coming right off the high of winning against the Bulldogs. But I, I've been riding on this Brisbane train all year, and I'm not hopping off right now. So I'm going to go with the Brisbane Lions here. I think it's going to be a very close one. I think it's going to be a very tough game. I, I think that it's going to really test these these players in every way. But I think that Brisbane's going to be able to come out with a win here. I, I'm 100% with you. I have Brisbane as well because unlike the Western Bulldogs, I think Hipwood and Danaher are two completely different animals compared to Bruce and Naughton. I think they are going to stretch this defense a lot more than they are used to. And Charlie Cameron being able to use his pace in the back, I think are going to be very, very difficult for this D's back line to stop. I have the Lions winning this one. Let's move on. SCG is where it's at as the Sydney Swans host the St. Kilda Saints. I'm going to go the Swans here, but this a lot like last week with the Carlton Blues. This one is a little scary for me because this St. Kilda team has the firepower to score. They've just been inconsistent when it comes to their results. So I'm hoping maybe, just maybe, we get the St. Kilda team that has been blown out a few times and the Swans can get a nice little percentage booster here. But I'm going to be nervous through this game because this, this is not an easy test for the Swans. Yeah, so these next two games for Sydney are both against St. Kilda and Hawthorne. And the and after that, the Swans are going to have some set, some very big matchups, Port Adelaide being one of them at the Adelaide Oval. But I think that Sydney know that they need to get these teams that are lower on the ladder. They need to get wins against them because if they don't, then they're going to go into these bigger matchups with a little bit more pressure on their shoulders. But if they can get if they can get these couple of wins and they're going to go, be going into these other matchups toward the end of the season against the likes of Port, the Dogs, and other teams, and then they're going to go in with a little bit more comfort level, knowing that if they lose, it's not completely ruined in terms of a season for them. And then, like you said, St. Kilda's been very inconsistent. The Swans have actually been able to find a lot more consistency kicking for goal. They, they've had a couple of slip-ups here and then. But for the most part, they've been able to do pretty well in terms of finding the right right moments at the right time. Yes, they were unable to get the job done against Fremantle, but they were able to take care of Collingwood relatively easily, and they were able to get a really professional win against Carlton. So I think that they've had, they've had ups and downs of their own, but I, I really like how the Swans have been able to, to bring it together in terms of – I think the last seven of the last eight quarters, the, the third quarter against Fremantle was the odd one out, but – for the most part, I think that the Swans are really picking it up right now and they're playing pretty good football, not necessarily against the best of teams, but I really like the way that they've been playing recently. So I'm going to go Sydney here. Like you said, hope that it's against the St. Kilda team that has been blown out a couple times, but even if they get a, an, a better, relatively speaking, St. Kilda team, I think that the Swans will be able to get it done. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. We'll jump over at the Adelaide Oval special we, we have some special considerations for Collingwood as Collingwood will fly in that day and fly out as Collingwood will play the Adelaide Crows in this one. Do the Crows get another win, keeping the Pies ugly season, or do the Pies throw everything against the door and somehow find a way to pull a win out over in South Australia? I'm going to go with the Adelaide Crows here. I think that the travel for Collingwood is going to be a little bit of an issue. I mean, we saw it earlier in the season with Brisbane and their, all, their whole series. Um, but I, I think the Adelaide being able to play at the Adelaide will have the home crowd. I think that I think their list is pretty decent. I, I think that the Crows have kind of just hit a bit of a stumble in the road. I think that they get up again and they're able to brush themselves off and get the winning against the Pies. I, I think the Crows are angry that they dropped that game against Richmond when they had it in their hands. I think they take their anger out on this putrid Collingwood team that unfortunately has lost Brody Grundy as well as Taylor Adams, which I think are two absolutely massive outs for this Pies team at the worst possible time. Let's jump into it. Another blockbuster game, in my opinion. That is the Dreamtime game. It will not be Dreamtime at the G this year. It'll be Dreamtime at the O, as Optus Stadium will host Essendon, 
versus Richmond. And sir, I'm going to do it. I, I know it may sound crazy. I'm oh, tipping, boy. I'm tipping Essendon. I think the Bombers are playing really well. They are going to be climatized to Western Australia where Richmond's going to have to fly out. I think that performance against the West Coast Eagles has buoyed this Essendon team's confidence. I think they come out and they get the big win over the prem, the former premiers. I got the bombers in this one. I'm going to go with the experience in the tigers. I admire your, I admire your courage to go with the bombers in this one, but I, I'm going to go with Richmond here. I just think that they have enough experience and enough big time players to be able to go interstate um, on relatively short notice and be able to get the job done. I mean, we saw it last year. They were able to go and take care of business in both uh, Queensland and South Australia, be able to win the premiership last year. I, I, I'm, I, I can't do Richmond like that. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily a Richmond fan, but I admire what they've been able to do over the last four years. I admire your guts with, with the Aston pick, but I'm going to go with the, with the Tigers here. I think they're going to be able to get the job done. You got to let one fly occasionally. So we'll, ju- oh, we'll, yeah. jump, we'll jump to it. A very interesting matchup. Two teams that are both not playing really well right now as Carlton hosts the West Coast Eagles. Who do you got? Does Carlton bounce back or does West Coast bounce back on the road? I'm done picking West Coast. Um, I'm going Carlton. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm done picking the West Coast Eagles because they make me look foolish time and time again. That being said, me picking against West Coast now means that West Coast is going to win. So regardless, it's a lose-lose for me. Let, let's go with Carlton. They, they, they had a really tough performance against Sydney. I, I think that they, they kind of got a bit of – they kind of got a bit of the shaft, I, I'm going to say, when they, when they kind of let it go in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, but I really liked the way that they played against Sydney in the first three quarters of that game. And if they can play a full four quarter game against West coast, I think they're good enough to be able to get the win. So hopping off of the Eagles. Let's go. Let's go Carlton. I'm, I'm with you on this one. I actually, I like Carlton. I think Harry McKay will, will give some testing to that back line of West coast losing Kennedy in the losing Josh Kelly in the middle, I think is a big loss. I think that is going to affect a team that has taken so many big injuries in the midfield. I'm going to go Carlton on this one. I liked Walsh and Cripps. They played really well against the Swans. I think they'll have another great game. Let's jump back out to Optus stadium as we see the Frio Dockers, hosting the defeated Western Bulldogs. Does Frio magic at home continue or do the Western Bulldogs defy us all and and, uh, get back on the winning track? I think that we're going to see an angry Western Bulldogs team. And I think they're going to take their anger out on Frio. I I really like the way that Frio played against Sydney uh, at home at Optus, but I think that the road form of going into Adelaide and putting up a rather putrid performance against the power. I think it's going to linger a little bit. Uh, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a tough game for the dogs, but I think they're going to be angry about losing the way they did to, to Melbourne. And they're going to be looking to prove a point. And I'm going to go with the doggies here. Um, I, like I said, Frio are a tough team to pick against, especially in Optus, but I'll go with the dogs here. And I'm, I'm with you on this one. I think the doggies come out. I think they, they come out to prove a statement that it was just a little bit of a blip in their particular road. And I think the Western Bulldogs pull out and win. I think Frio stays in this. I don't think this is a blowout. I think Frio yeah. stays in this being at home. But I think the dogs just have so much talent in some of these areas that I think they're just going to be able to overrun this young Frio team. And that will end our tips, sir. And we have come to that lovely part of our podcast, one of my favorite times each and every episode, and that is Brad's crazy stat of the week. Brad, let's hear it. What do we have this week? Well, today is going to be a, a special one because today is Lou Gehrig Day. Uh, it's the first annual Lou Gehrig Day started by Major League Baseball. Uh, it happened on June – it's today, June 2nd, which is – uh, significant because on this day in 1925, Lou Gehrig became the Yankees starting first baseman and he played his first game of his legendary 2,130 game consecutive games played streak. Um, and that, that ended in 1941. So let's go ahead and talk about Lou Gehrig a little bit. And one of the most amazing stats of Lou Gehrig's is in the 11-season span from 1927 to 1937, 
not only did he play in every single game, but Lou Gehrig hit for the following benchmarks. A 300 average, a .424 on-base percentage, a .583 slugging percentage, a 1.015 OPS. And so, so we got all of that, played every single game and hit for all of those benchmarks in every single season. And how many other players have produced 11 qualifying seasons of an OPS plus of that, of that number? Just three. Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds. That's incredible. That is absolutely insane. Another amazing stat there from you, Brad. And I think, sir, we have come to we have come to the end of our episode. Another awesome chat. It is always great to chat sports with you, sir. A jam-packed weekend. So many things to watch. I cannot wait to do it. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this show. We thoroughly enjoy your listening. Brad, do you have anything to say to our awesome audience? Yeah, thank you all for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. And like we said earlier in the podcast, we're going to be talking a lot about the European Championships coming up next week. Uh, The games will start up the weekend following, and we'll be able to talk more in depth about the groups and about the rosters and the players and the stadiums that they're going to be played at as this European Championship is going to be played all around Europe, not just in one country this year. The final is going to be at Wembley, but the games are being played all over Europe in places like Munich, Baku, we're going to be seeing games play Stadio Olimpico in Rome. So there's going to be plenty of things to talk about in terms of that. We'll have a lot to talk about next week. Who knows? We might see another elimination in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll have a lot of series going on. And then we'll might maybe even have a Women's College World Series champion. So we'll have to wait and see. We'll have a lot to talk about on our next podcast. Cannot wait. The week will go so slowly, but it'll be so much fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again. This has been another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner, and we will see you again next week.